0: Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode 20 on our study on the Holy Spirit. Emily, how are you today? I'm great. It's good to have you with us. I am so glad that you continue to be on this journey with little old me. (laughs) Me too. Well, thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) I don't know if it's me having you, you having me, (laughs) but those who are listening, this is Mama and the Rev right now, Okay. Emily, why don't you uh, share a little bit of some of the passages, at least for today, that passage that we're going to jump into and talk about a little bit today.
1: Well, today's going to be a little bit different, I guess, than what we've ever, what we've kind of jumped into and started um, in the previous 19 episodes. Um, I just felt like we needed to discuss some things from the Old Testament and not forget that. I mean, yes, Jesus is the most important thing. And His coming and His story of redemption and what He brings and offers to us the grace and just the picture of the love of the Father to send His Son. That is wonderful. And yes, we can do a 1000s, upon 1000s, upon 1000s of episodes about Jesus and, and His goodness and His, and His grace and His love. But there's so much to learn from the Old Testament. Absolutely, there is so much to learn. So today, if you are one of those people that love, you know, historical period dramas, Netflix is full of them. I highly encourage you to get into the book of First and Second Kings, <laughs> because, oh my goodness, it is like I was sitting there reading it and I thought, my gosh. This could be like a storyline that people would tune in religiously to see what happens. And
0: what's amazing, Emily, is that if you change the names, if you change the location, if you change the places, it's easy to see ourselves in those passages, to see some of the same tensions, to see some of the same despondencies, the things that kind of tear us apart on the inside. You can walk that and see yourself in it.
1: Yes. And I I found a... um, new Bible called the Abide Bible that has a lot of little notes and, and things and as you go down, not notes necessarily about the scripture, but little prompts, I guess is a better term that says, okay, think right close your eyes right now and just think about the story you just read and picture yourself there. Like mm-hmm. picture yourself as as a spectator, as a member of the crowd. And see if that changes your perspective and if it changes how you feel about what you just read. How does it – does it hit you differently? Does it make you notice something that you've never noticed before? Um, And you can certainly do that in these stories because they're vivid. They're very detailed an exact, you know, and that's when we tend to quit reading because we don't know what a cubit is.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> they're, cert- they're certainly not uh, G-rated, are they?
1: <laughs> no, they are not. I mean, you could not put this on primetime on, you know, the, with the kids running around the house. So, yeah, there's that. So I just felt like we should dig into a little bit. And the story that came to my mind first was Elijah. And we've talked, I think, way back towards the beginning of our venture here, (laughs) our our journey and adventure into podcast land. We alluded to this story before because you and I have been there. When we visited Israel, what, 2019? Was it two years ago?
0: Something like that.
1: About two years ago, we were getting ready to go, and I wish we were getting ready to go now. Um, But we've been to Mount Carmel. And so this is the story that we started off with that – What happened there? What the great prophet Elijah did there and the message that was given. And as we started to dig in and you and I always find it fascinating how you find things that I don't find. And we go down rabbit holes and a lot of the time the rabbit holes actually our tunnels will meet somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Those who have and listened to us long off. enough know that. Yeah. yeah, and
1: then veer off again. And then there we go. <laughs> see you in a minute. I'll see you when we get back to the top. So, and my rabbit hole this week was I got so interested. I mean, of course I started reading seventeen. I think I started in First Kings chapter seventeen. And then I got curious and I was like, I wanna see what happened before this because it kept saying that Ahab was the worst king that Israel had ever had, that he was more wicked than all the ones before him. And I thought, well, how wicked were they? So I went back and started reading. And I just thought to give a little context into this story that we'll be talking about is, you know, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, and there was Judah and then everybody else. (laughs) So, the northern kingdom of Israel and then the kingdom of Judah. And the Lord did that. He split them apart and had told this Jeroboam that he would be, you're going to be king of the northern part. And so, and John, please, as the seminarian, <laughs> you're going to have to jump in and correct me when I get names or places or anything wrong. And he says to him, you know, if you will lead and follow my statues and my commands, you will be very successful. This will be great. Just follow me. And Jeroboam's like, all right, that is not what happens (laughs) (laughs) at all. It is not what happens at all. And so they had come from David, who we all know David. Gosh, he was fantastic. Then we get Solomon, and Solomon was very wise, and he had so much wisdom, but he was kind of lazy in some of the other aspects of his life, and he ended up with so many wives and had so many outside influences, and he wasn't very strict with the, no, you're not going to worship any of these other gods, and he let all these wives that he had continue to have their gods from their cultures, and that we can see it trickling down to the rest of the generations. So as the further we get from Solomon, the further we get from who God was and what he had done and what he had been in the lives of the Israelites that had brought him to this point. And so By the time you get to Ahab, and when you read through Kings, you'll see, well, so-and-so became king, and he was king for 22 years, and he was the worst king that had ever happened. And because he did this, he did not do what God commanded him to do. So when you get to Ahab, you think, how could it get any worse? And you see (laughs) that Ahab married this woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was a princess. Her father was a king. And so Jezebel, they worshipped, they were in the northern part, towards. they were close to the northern part of Israel, into the country that worshipped Baal. And he was a fertility god. And he brought the rain. And he fed people. And he did all of these things. And they would, they would set up these poles and these altars everywhere for this god. And I thought it was so interesting when I started reading back, like, how could they forget? How could Israel as a people just quickly start following these smaller, unimportant gods that were, you know, they were one day they were this, the next day they were this, or that, well, they really weren't anything at all, right? Right. (laughs) But the people thought that, oh, we can't make them mad. We have to do this. We have to put up these offerings and these, you know... We have to do all of these things to keep these gods on our side and to keep us happy and to keep them happy, so they will do what we need and they will take care of us and protect us. And the Israelites had gotten so off track, so off track with how they responded and how that they went about their lives. It was so different.
0: They were so easily influenced yes. by the culture.
1: Yes, and that's why you know. When Joshua was, when they were entering into the land, that is such a big part of why God said, when you get in there, you have to drive everybody else out. Do not let any of these other cultures live among you. Don't marry them. Don't, I mean, some of them he said drive out. Some of them he said wipe them off the face of the earth. And he did that to protect them because he knew that they would be led astray. And as you read in Joshua, as you go through you kind of see some of these concessions that they made. And then when you get into Judges, you see that Judah and Simeon, those two tribes went in and did what God said. They cleared everybody out of their of their inheritance that was in the land. But the rest of the tribes got kind of, oh, well, that's hard. And we're tired. We can't. They won't leave. We cannot yeah. get them to leave.
0: They won't leave us alone. We asked them to leave, yeah. but yeah. I don't know.
1: So they didn't leave. So here, that's where that influence started. And then the things like Solomon and his wives that brought in their cultures, and it just gets watered down and watered down and watered down. From from all accounts and from things that I read, Ahab was kind of, he wanted his way. He wasn't a very strong, you know, character, kind of a guy. He kind of let Jezebel, Jezebel ruled the roost. What she said went, and what she wanted was what it, was what, said. And, and, you know, we can think about these kings and queens when they got, you know, their, these marriages, they were for alliances. Right. You know, what could it bring to the kingdom? And so essentially what made Ahab the worst was he really kind of set up Baal as the god of the kingdom. And he kind of pushed God to the side. And that was what really angered God. All along, God had still been kind of in the mix. He'd still kind of been there. And Ahab let Jezebel influence him. And now Baal is being, he's the God of the Israelites. That's the other thing. This is an Israelite king. He was Jewish. (laughs) He was one of them. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. He was from that tribe. This wasn't a conquering king that came in and brought Baal to them. He was one of their own that allowed this other god to come in and sit at the table with the Israelites. And that is what angered the Lord. And so we have this prophet Elijah that is called up and says, there's gonna, he tells Elijah, there's going to be a famine here until they turn. And so Elijah goes through and starts telling all of this. So Ahab and Jezebel did not like.
0: <laughs> Could you imagine Elijah. that conversation? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: But it was reminiscent of of the New Testament that we've talked if we talked about Herod and John the Baptist and what No, um, we haven't specifically. But you know, John the Baptist had that relationship with Herod. Herod kind of liked what John had to say and was kind of interested in what when he was talking, but
0: one of the women in Herod's his, life.
1: Yeah. Herod's wife didn't 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 so much like it so much. And that's what kinda got not kind of, that's what got John's head chopped off. <laughs> yeah.
0: Put his head on a plate.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of reminiscent of that to me. So, they don't like Elijah. They don't like him calling them out and saying, here's what you've done. And this is what God says. And this is what's going to happen till you guys come around. This is what until and the Israelites were just kind of following along. They didn't know. That's why when Elijah comes to him and says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And that's like Matthew that says you cannot choose two masters you cannot serve both. It's got to be one or the other. And it also kind of reminds me of Revelation, where God is telling them, you can't be lukewarm. Be hot or cold one of the other. I cannot abide being lukewarm.
0: Yeah, Revelation 3.15, I know your works, you're neither hot or cold. Would you be either hot or cold? The prophets of Baal, they were certain that Baal was God. Yeah. Elijah, he is certain that Yahweh is God. The only people that were in doubt was the audience. Right. And so just like Joshua, well, God's chosen yeah. People. <laughs> so here Joshua says, "Hey, choose this day whom you will serve." Right. "As for me and my house will serve the Lord." That's kind of like Joshua wiping his hands clean and saying, "You know, I'm tapping out, it's on you." Yeah. Here's Elijah stepping into the episode, doesn't tap out. He says, hey, quit limping around the images on crutches. Quit limping around between two options, two choices. If the Lord is God, serve him. Yeah. If Baal is God, then serve him. And the people did not give an answer.
1: They were undecided. And again, it makes you question Why in the world were you undecided?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Elijah's saying it, it better one way or the other, even if it's the wrong way than being in between.
1: Yeah, when you get into the beginning of Judges, when Joshua has died, in chapter two, it says that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel, then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance. And then verse 10 says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. So we see it at the beginning of Judges, that this generation has died, and then God has forgotten. They had not done a great job with leaving this legacy of who God was and what he had done and what he had brought them to.
0: And so what's interesting to me is this. When Joshua crosses over the Jordan River, He asks them to pick up, what, 12 stones. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Takes those 12 stones, and in Joshua chapter 4, um, as you're passing through and and pick up according to the number of tribes, and then he says in uh, 4, 6, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in the time to come, what do those stones mean, you'll be able to tell them that this is the day that the Lord gave you the promised land. Now, what's interesting here is the connection to Elijah. When the people didn't give him an answer, Elijah says, well, here's two options. I'm going to let the prophets of Baal make a sacrifice. I'm going to make a sacrifice. And the God who answers with fire is the God. All right. When he starts making his, what's he do? Gets 12 stones. 12 stones, one for each tribe. And And that
1: makes you wonder, did they, did he go, why is he getting 12? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did they (laughs) even forget that?
1: Yeah. I mean, why why is he getting 12? I mean, how many? That's like
0: us asking, why is there 50 stars on our flag?
1: Yeah. I mean, mean, can you imagine when that's how far they could come? I I mean, because Jeroboam, when they split, he was like, well, we need to have our own place to worship here. We can't all be going to Jerusalem because then they might decide they like that better. And they may stay down there. I got to keep my kingdom to myself. So he made his own And as a result, he also decided to make some golden calves. And yeah, we've seen that before, too. (laughs) Absolutely. So, I mean, how much had they, that's how far it had gone.
0: (laughs) And and so the people are watching these 12 stones go on. They almost certainly, we don't know, what's he doing and stuff like that. What's that mean? I, I think there's a glimmer. But this shows more about Elijah than it did about the people that he went back and he remembered. This is the covenant Remember this altar of the 12 stones back in Joshua 4. When your children ask, you'll be able to tell them that this mm-hmm. is remember, remember, remember over and over and over again. It has passed generation to generation, and that nothing is more frustrating and disappointing and frightening than the scriptures telling us. And another generation came and they knew not the Lord. Yeah. They knew not the Lord. Well, yep. shame on the generation before.
1: Right. So, what can that say to, about us?
0: Uh, I'm not even making that connection. <laughs> I'm not even making that connection. But but it but is. We have to. It is true. It is it is true that there is a connection with that uh, portion of remembering and telling the next generation. But we all find ourselves in one place or another just being okay with the status quo yeah, and uh, being okay with the subtle influences that are taking our eyes off the covenant, off of the God who brings mercies.
1: We want to say, oh, those Israelites, what's wrong with them? How could they forget that? Good grief. They were worshiping golden cows. That's awful. Can't do that. Because they felt like – because Ahab blamed Elijah. He said, you're the one that did this.
0: Yeah, you're the reason we have famine.
1: Yeah, you're the reason – you're stirring up all the people. You're the reason that you have – you're the one that's made Baal mad. You've done this. And don't we always do that? We want to blame somebody else for our own sin and where we are and the mess we're in. Well, that's because, you know, that's because I had this in my life. That's because my childhood was this way and I had this kind of environment. So, of course, I'm going to so that but that's not.
0: It just shows how easy it is for us to gravitate towards mediocrity. Yeah. To be complacent. Yeah. It's difficult to, to step out into the disciplines of our faith. It's yeah. difficult to daily set aside our own desires. It's difficult to walk into a room and not worry about this or that or what people might think and, and be bold and take a stand for what you believe to be true about the gospel message of good news.
1: Yeah. We want to say that it's so hard that we don't know how to do it. We don't know what this means. We don't, we can't, I mean, we can't be Jesus. I mean, gosh, he was God. He was, you know, had that divine nature. Of course he could come and live. But really, honestly, it's not hard because we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We know exactly these commands and these statutes that God keeps referring to with these kings Because God does not mince his words, nor do these prophets. Mm -hmm. They say, hey, all this mess you're in, it's because you haven't followed the commands and the statutes of God. They say that. And people want to go, well, we don't know what they are, but we do know what they are. It's not hard. You can find it with one click of a mouse. You can look up Ten Commandments. You can look up the Bible. There are apps with the Bible on it. You can go into any bookstore and find shelves upon shelf upon shelf of Bibles, any kind of translation you want. You like the King James Version? Fine. Here's one. You like us to paraphrase it for you? Great. Here's several choices of those. It's not that we don't know what they are. It's that we don't bother to do them. That is where our friend the Holy Spirit is. That is where We have to rely on him. Jesus, even though he was human, knew what God wanted. And I know that Jesus at times, because it says that he prayed, he spent so much time communicating with God. Don't you know that he had to be saying, well, I mean, you don't know. I'm not going to put these words in Jesus's mouth, but in my mind, it would be, Dad, hey, this happened. I think I need to do this, or I'm going to respond this way. Is this what you would do? Is this your mind and your heart on this subject? Okay, then I'm going, to, I'm going to act in this way going forward then. Jesus made those decisions in his flesh to keep with the commands and the statues of God. We can do the same thing.
0: G.K. Chesterton wrote this about what's wrong with the world. And he said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found lacking or wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Yeah. And I think that's where many of us find ourselves. It's probably where the Israelites are finding them. They have been so watered down in Elijah's day by, and I love the history that you gave here was beautiful about all the things that had led up to this, that slowly had chipped away. They had forgotten. They hadn't told the next generation's stories about where God had showed up. And so it left open options and left open um, different ways. And so here comes Elijah. He says, there there is no wavering. It's not that they chose Baal. And was following him it's they were in between yeah we all have lived the tension of indecision yeah and how it can just one day you feel like doing this and one day you feel like doing that and there are times that that happens in our faith yeah even great men and women of faith they find themselves doing this and so the altars are prepared the sacrifices are made and the Baal prophets, 450 of them, limp around, same word. They limp around and they are dancing and nothing happens. And so they turn over, okay, let's see what your God can do. Yeah. And so he prepares the sacrifice and then he digs a trench around it and he douses it with water, 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 water. I'm going to make this unmistakably clear yeah. what happens. And he had a prayer. He recognized the greatness of God and god answered with fire and uh, and it, no the, mistake no mistake and, <laughs> and in fact the, the scripture says and all that water the fire licked it up yeah <laughs> it just gives that um, that beautiful image of that but the israelite people had been so confused about what they should do and here comes this answer with fire that God consumes the sacrifice that Elijah made. Now, we would imagine that this would be the the feel-good part of the movie, and the slow, soft song would come in, and everything would be in slow motion as people started jumping and cheering. Yeah. And you started going then, saying five years down the road, and 10 years, and 30 yeah. years, you get these little clips of they the were faithful. Ending. Yeah, everything. <laughs> But we don't get that. No, we, we, we don't get that. And I don't think we even get an idea of the result of what was long lasting. But when God answered with fire, the people respond at that time, Yahweh is God, the Lord is God. That right there becomes the climax of, of the story. It's not about the fire coming down or the lack of the fire coming down on the prophet's uh, sacrifice. Because the only people that were indecisive were the people that were watching in the crowd that he addressed. God answers with fire not to convince Elijah, not to convince them, but to confirm the prophet and to convince his people. And so that becomes the, the climax of the story. But what's interesting is that Elijah doesn't ask the people, if Baal is God, believe in him. If Yahweh is God, believe in him. He says, if Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow Him. So the invitation was, okay, decide what you believe and then act on it. Yeah. Belief must produce action. Yes. Belief always, whether you like it or not, belief always produces action. Yes. Even indecisiveness produces action. If we believe what we say we believe in the gospel, the good news, what the shepherds said here, I announce to you uh, good news uh, that will be of great joy for all people. If we believe that that news is good news and is of great joy for all people, then there has to be some action that is accompanied by that faith or that belief. And so the people, they may have said, yes, he is God. But what was the action? We'll see that you can read in the rest of first Kings and second Kings, how that played out. It doesn't always play out well. And and here's Elijah then after this great, three great things that happen in these chapters. Yeah. And then chapter 19 comes.
1: He goes back and he tells Ahab, you know, he's like, hey, see, okay, God's going to bring rain. This God's going to bring rain now, yep. and the famine will be over. So Ahab goes, and so Elijah starts praying, and he tells whoever it is that's standing, go look on the horizon, go look towards the sea, Is what? do you see anything? And he comes back, he comes and goes and comes and goes and comes. What is it, seven times mm-hmm. the number of completion? <sighs> see, God is in the details. On the seventh time, the guy comes back and says, there is a small dark cloud forming It's coming. It's coming this way. And so Elijah sees that, and he gets up, and he starts—he tucks in his cloak, it says. He hitched up his skirt and started running. And the Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he beat Ahab. He outran— The chariot. Yeah, he outran the chariot. That Spirit of the Lord comes. And so Elijah has just called down fire from heaven— God delivered, he has just prayed for rain, God is delivering, he had to beat Ahab, he wanted to get ahead of Ahab, and he was given this supernatural ability to outrun a chariot. And then he sees Jezebel. She was really ticked. <laughs> and she said, you have killed all my prophets. Wouldn't
0: you think that she would be happy that rain was coming?
1: Oh, no, forget it. She was mean as a snake, apparently. <laughs> And she said, you've killed all my prophets. You will meet the same fate. And Elijah gets afraid. After he's called down fire from heaven, after he's seen these rain clouds approaching, after he's outrun a chariot, Elijah gets afraid and he runs for his life. It's interesting he doesn't have that same speed when he's running this time, you know? And I just think that that is so true of when you have these moments of victory, when you have these clear, wonderful things that happen, that you know that God is pleased, that you know that you're in the midst of what your purpose is that you're doing what what God wants you to do when you've had these events that you feel so good about it's almost always met with something devastating I don't, well I don't know about any of you but I mean I've certainly felt that every time I get um, oh I can't believe this that the Lord is doing this I can't believe gosh this is awesome I, thank you Lord Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for answering this prayer. Thank you for doing all these things, God. There comes a crisis where you think, oh, well, maybe I got it wrong and I'm tired and I'm tired of doing this. And that's where Elijah is. He's tired.
0: I love what you wrote. And you actually sent this to me that when we have these amazing moments of faith, like calling down fire from heaven or out running a chariot, it is almost always followed by a crisis, you end up deflated, depleted, and defeated. And that's where we find Elijah. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves.
1: Yeah. And God is so kind. He's so kind. He feeds him.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt that yeah. Elijah has become a little foggy.
1: Yeah, that foggy.
0: Yeah, he has been. his mind is not thinking clearly yeah. for fear of his own life. Yeah. He leaves the Northern Kingdom of Israel, goes through Judah, goes all the way down to Beersheba, and he releases his servant of duty, which is symbolic of him giving up on the ministry. Yeah. So he's running all the way. He thinks, okay, I'm out of the reach of Jezebel in the Southern Kingdom. I going to go to the desert and get out of the reach of God. Yeah. And there in the desert, the Negev, he's famished and God shows up and gives him some food. And then in a cliff, God asks this question that I just love. He does it twice. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Notice God does not say, and this shows just the magnificent presence, faithfulness, lovingness of God. He doesn't say, what are you doing there? As if he's saying this from a distance and pointing, what, what are you doing over there? Yeah. What does it mean by him saying, what are you doing here? It means God is actually there too. Yeah. He's like looking around, shrugging his shoulders, palms up. What are you doing here?
1: Well, you know, and that's like, yes, I track my children on Find My iPhone. Um, and you look it up and you go and you text them or you call them and say, what
0: are you doing there? You are not where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Wouldn't it be scary if they got the text? What are you doing here? Where's mom? Mom's here. I know she's here. I'm going
1: to try that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to say, why are you here? (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. Because I do always tell them mama always knows, fella. But it's, yeah. So I track my children. And so you can say, yeah, what are you doing there? But that here is so important. That here is so important. And this this cave that he's in is in Horeb. So that's Mount Sinai, correct? Yeah. Well, what was Mount Sinai? <laughs> Here's uh-huh. those commands and those statues. So many symbolisms. <laughs> yes. This is where the burning bush was. This is where so much of god's presence was revealed to the israelites in psalms it talks about come to me you're my you're my fortress you're my hiding place um david is talking about and maybe it's where david is running but here elijah ends up in this cave in a mountain that has symbolized the presence of god and god meets him and says why are you here
0: Obviously, he was not trying to find God. No. But God was there. Yes. In his exhaustion, in his discouragement, and in his moment when he was praying to die. Yes. He was running from Jezebel for fear of his life, only to get to a place to say, Oh God, let me die and be like those who have gone before me yeah
1: but haven't we all gotten to those places i mean i have pity parties a good bit where i go, I can't especially during quarantine (laughs) yeah (laughs) and homeschooling i can't do this god i can't do this please help me i mean i have said those words so many times in the last year god i can't do this i can't and even as i'm saying it i'm like going yes you can emily yes you can that, that
0: that spiritual depression And that spiritual despondency, it can strike very quickly.
1: Yes. Out of nowhere.
0: Out of nowhere. No wonder Christ says, look, you need to daily pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Yeah. Pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me each day, each day. So Elijah gets this good dose of truth. God doesn't tell him, I told you so, but just gave him this supernatural illumination that he's not in the fire, he's not in the earthquake, he's in that still, small voice. Moments of our lives, if we had to be reflective about it, what drives us the most are usually these loud things, Mm -hmm. these things that are very disruptive that become interruptions. And we focus on those, whether good or bad, whatever. Yeah. And we use those as fuel, whether it's to drive us to indecision about, I don't know what to do. Should I follow this per- God or should I follow like the Israelites or should I do this or do that? They, they cause us to go here because there's a big event that pushes us this way or this event pushes us this way or this circumstance kind of holds us somewhere in the center. But this still small voice just reminds me that the voice of God is in the midst of all of it. Mm-hmm. No shaking of a finger. No, I'm so disappointed in you. Yeah. No rationalization saying, did you just not see what I did? (laughs) Did you just forget? You called fire from heaven. Yeah. Your eyebrows are still singed. (laughs) Take a look in the mirror, Elijah. Don't you get it? Your eyebrows are still singed. (laughs) That's the takeaway. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Pictures, little hairy Elijah in the <laughs> cave with no eyebrows. <laughs> Sorry, John. No,
0: I, I love it. <laughs> when you think of Lamentations three, great Is I faithfulness. Mm-hmm. In three twenty-three and twenty-four, and the prophet writes, "Your mercies are new every morning." There's something about that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. This is a subtle encouragement. subtle truth that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of indecision, even in the midst of being on one side or the other, that there are these refreshing moments that God gives every morning. It's not replayed mercies. It's not reminders of mercies in the past. They're mercies that are fresh each morning and notice it's in the morning. Before you know what your day is, there is a fresh mercy for you.
1: God doesn't serve day-old bread or stale coffee. It's fresh every morning. You know, Hebrews says that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same. And yes, some of those mercies may be carryover mercies, but they're the same. They're not watered down and old. Like... Those promises that you've gotten, that you know that God has promised that this is going to happen or that this is going to be your truth, this is going to be something that's going to happen for you, and it hasn't happened yet, every day you wake up, it's still new and it's still coming, and every morning we need to get up and think, God's still God. He's still God. He's still on the throne, and he is a God of his word. And the same thing he promised me yesterday is still going to be true today.
0: What would it be like for you to get close to God? C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. And then he writes, If you want joy, peace, power, and eternal life, you must get close to, or even into, the thing that has them. Mm. They are not sort of a prize which God could, if He chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at every center of reality. What would we have to do to just recognize those things and letting God ask you that question Not how did you get here? What are you still doing here? Mm -hmm. The ministry of Elijah, God still had more for him to do. In fact, what happens next in the story actually brings down the kingdom of Ahab. What Elijah feared most was his life. But you know, Elijah never died. The thing that he feared the most never happened.
1: People always talk about David and what his mistakes were and what his failings were as king and as a man, yet God always said he's a man after my own heart. And we see that, that Elijah had this crisis where he said, oh, I'm afraid, and he went to hide and he was seemed to be shirking his responsibilities as a prophet for the Lord, yet he was provided for, he was met, the Lord met him and comforted him and encouraged him. He got that rejuvenation, and so Elijah was able to go on and complete the other things. And then he was called up, and then he appeared back with Jesus.
0: On the Mount of Transfiguration.
1: Yeah, with Peter and John.
0: And and it's so subtle
1: Mm.
0: and quickly uh, overlooked. If you feel deflated, depleted, or defeated, don't give up. Don't think that the God who will meet you will be coming after you with fire (laughs) or earthquake, but he will come after you with a gentle breeze, a soft, kind voice that says, what are you doing here? Know that this is the God who waits, knocks at the door and encourages us to not limp around or hesitate. So may it be for you today. God bless.